Well, it is July the 20th, uh, and the summer seems to be fast approaching its end, right? The Indianapolis 500 has taken place, uh, vacations have been had, the 4th has been celebrated, and although September 21st marks the official end of summer, it would seem that in the modern American's mind, summer runs sometime between uh, Memorial Day and Labor Day holidays, right? Which would mean that we are on the, the downswing of summer. For me, though, this brings back a lot of memories as a young boy because with summer's close comes the beginning of the football season. Now, I know a few weeks ago Matt got some laughs by having me post a picture on Facebook and he asked if I still had it, and I think I do still have it, Matt, right? Um, But uh, those memories of the ramp up into football season uh, have taught me a lot. I remember the preparation, the conditioning that went into that sport um, from regular weightlifting to running uh, from one end of the season to the next, it seemed. Now, if you're a sports junkie, the summer has been packed full of sporting events. Um, from the NBA Finals, seeing the Miami Heat lose and now losing LeBron back to Cleveland, to the World Cup filled with crazy highlights and a disappointing USA knockout in the first round of 16. Not to mention baseball's ever-long season full of, of uh, more crazy highlights and always wondering who's doing steroids now. But you know what mid-July brings, right? The networks begin to, to put their focus on the preseason of what I believe is the greatest sport ever invented, football. Right? From Pee Wee to the National Football League, coaches and players are beginning their preparation for the upcoming season. And whether you are a player or not, you likely know that at the beginning of the season, the coaches are handing out the playbook to their players. There are formations and strategies. There's plays all in preparation for that upcoming season. So to give their team the hope to be victorious. Now as a church, and let's go ahead and make this connection as a team, we are fast approaching a new season in ministry at this church. As God has worked in and through you, the church, He is doing amazing things for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are realizing that our building is in need once more of growth. Now, a few months ago, the vision of that new edition was shared with you at our Easter services, and if you've checked out our website, you can see those under the News and Events tab on our website. You can see a little video that will explain some more about this vision. But I want to here put this connection with you. As a football coach hands out his playbook to his players for the new season, so can you view the leadership sharing these plans of phase two with you as partners in the ministry that is going on right here at Bethany Christian Church. But in football, when the coach hands out those players, those X's and O's, those strategies that are handed to the the player, oftentimes can seem a little messy. Who's going to block who, the the person may ask. What's this going to look like? Who's going to carry the ball? What's the the practical use of this play? Are we really going to, is this really going to help us to score? Now, I, I learned very fast in football, the best thing you can do as a player is ask questions when you get that playbook into your hands, especially at the beginning of the season, because the coach would rather you ask him at the beginning of the season than in the middle of the season when you're losing because you weren't, uh, weren't willing to ask those questions in the first hand. And we know that some of you have questions too, as we've handed out the playbook. You've wondered the when and the how. You've wondered why and more. And many of you are asking those questions in your heart. So over the next few weeks as a team, we want to gather around those questions and we want to answer them. Because they are good 
questions. And those good questions need to be answered so that as a team, as partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can continue to minister as Bethany Christian Church. So let me say to you this morning, thank you for asking those questions because they are good questions. Now as we begin the series this morning, I get the opportunity to open up with that foundational question of why. Why do we need to build this building. Now, I know some of you are like, we know why. We're running out of space. We see this. This is very, uh, this, is, this is the practical need. We're, we need space. And you're recognizing that in, to continue to effectively minister the gospel, that we don't want anything to hinder people, not even tight corridors, so that the message of Christ could be preached. But today, I want to take a very practical look at why we believe in the importance of a specific building expansion. I want to answer the question of why do we need these specific areas of our building as we grow. And I want to share, most of all, their alignment to God's Word and why we are building certain spaces in our church so that God's glory would be reached. But before we do that, I'd like to just open us with a word of prayer. So if you guys would, let's bow have a word of prayer. God, we do thank you uh, for this morning, and uh, we thank you that you are doing an amazing work in and through us. And that comes through the grace that Christ displayed for us on the cross. The mercy that we have because of that. And God, we know that we are broken and messy people um, that you are working in and through. And we pray, God, that as we study your word this morning on um, the growth of our building and why that is in line with your, your scripture, that God, it would constantly, we would constantly be re- reminded of that great call to, to go and to grow as men and women of Christ. So God, be with us this morning. Um, I pray that my words would be nothing less uh, than your words um, only. And God, I just uh, uh, continue to uh, lift these things up to you. I say all this in your son's name. Amen. So the first thing I, th- I, I want us to know this morning is that community is key. Here at Bethany, as I know many of you are aware of, we believe that community is key. Now, community can be defined as a unified body of individuals. And we believe as a church in the power of community. It's the John 13, 35 principle, that they will know we are Christians by our love. And as the building grows, we see a large portion of our building being expanded for common space or community space. It's a place for fellowship, just like this area right now is. And you'll notice that there's a a good, um, significant portion of the building that will grow into common space. Now, coffee houses breathe community. Starbucks, the obvious and most famous of the coffee house boom, has recognized the truth that community is key. Minister and author Bill Willett shares this story uh, of his uh, recent visit to Starbucks. He said, One day while adding the necessary additives to make the product my coffee, I saw a card that caught my eye. If you are an occasional patron of Starbucks, chances are you may have seen it too. It's a card promoting career opportunities at Starbucks. No, it didn't intrigue me because I was looking for a job. What made the card stand out was its title. The card read, Create Community. Make a difference in someone's day. Since the subject of community not only intrigues me, but also employs me, Bill is a minister of small groups and community at a church down at Atlanta, he said, I immediately picked it up. On the back of the card, it went on. When you work at Starbucks, you can make a difference in someone's day by creating an environment where neighbors and friends get together and reconnect while enjoying a great coffee experience. Interesting, isn't it? 
says Bill. Starbucks sees itself in the business of doing more than selling a premium cup of coffee. Starbucks believes part of its corporate purpose is a great environment that connects people so meaningfully that it changes the quality of their life. Sound familiar? It should sound familiar because community and connection is a foundational need of humankind. Now, if I were to ask you what was the first thing that was not right in the Garden of Eden, almost unanimously, we would all point to Genesis 3, verse 6. That's where Eve sees the fruit. She sees that it's desirable for gaining wisdom, and she takes some of it and eats it, and then she gives some to her husband, Adam. That was, that, was, that was pretty clear that we'd all quickly tie ourselves to that. And while, yes, this is where sin entered the world, and yes, this is where the great chasm between God and man begins to take place, or does take place, it was not the first thing that was not right in the garden. You see, in Genesis 2, verse 18, we hear this. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. And we, wanna, we need to understand this. And we really think about this. Adam had been formed, had, had, had the life breath given to him by God. Adam was in perfect harmony with God. He had dominion over all of the animals, all the things that had been given to him. He lived in this heavenly place. And God looks upon Adam and he says, this isn't good. It's not good for Adam to be alone. In that moment, there was something wrong. Adam needed community. And while, yes, there's an obvious tie to God's ordaining of marriage, that woman is, comes out of Adam and man and woman are called to be together in community, there's also a foundational principle that man longs for relationship, that he longs for community, that humankind longs for this. And mankind longs for a ability to be loved, somebody to care for them, and to be unified together. This is why we see our common space as a key area to grow. A place where relationship can happen. Friendships are built and fellowship is had. Bill Willits went on to say this about his epiphany inside of that Starbucks. He says, Starbucks is using coffee to promote a connection that is that's a good thing because this company recognizes that they live in a culture craving relationship. Church, may it be our prayer that the common space of this building will continue to be a place where authentic and powerful relationships and community take place so that others are tied to the powerful unity that is found in Christ. As Paul said it all too well in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together in community to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We believe that community is key at this church. The second we know this, that children are loved by Christ. Now I probably didn't need to tell you that, that children are loved by Christ, but they are. And as phase two takes place, you will notice that a large portion of the building uh, will, will include children's area, a very large portion. Now some of that is pre-existing, but some of this will be added on to. Now if you're a parent of a little one, you probably don't need me to tell you the practical need for space for our children's ministry, because get this, Children are overrunning our children's ministry area. 
right? It's a good problem to have. We are seeing an overflow in classrooms. We've actually seen one of our classes have to move out into one of our adult Bible study fellowship classes over the last couple months. And, and there's a great need to added space for our children. But we're not just adding space for space's sake, right? Now, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege to serve alongside Tom and Julie Watson um, and uh, Justice and Susan Latham um, from Bethany, along with a host of other people from around the, uh, the country at a, a camp out in Montana, Pine Haven Children's Ranch. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. I got to see a lot of beautiful country. If you've never been to Montana, gorgeous. I mean, just unreal, beautiful country. Got to help serve and encourage uh, young men and young women that were there on the ranch and also get some work done for the camp while we were there. But as the week drew to an end, I was ready to get home. Not because I didn't enjoy my time out there, but because I missed two very special people to, to me. I missed my wife, and I missed our 20-month-old daughter, Eliana. And I can tell you that as a father, I can think of no greater joy than to walk into the door and to bend down on a knee and to hear the pitter-patter of little steps come running to you at the front door and to feel those small little arms wrap themselves around you and give you a big hug. That's a, that's a great honor as a dad. And it paled, my, my trip to Montana paled in comparison to the day I arrived home and I got that hug from our beautiful daughter. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 19, we hear a similar story of Jesus. He's in the throes of his ministry. He's sharing parables with his disciples. He's teaching those who have come to him about the coming kingdom. He's challenged skewed beliefs. He's, he's taught and performed many miracles and did all kinds of different things to show himself as the God of this universe. You really think about this. The God in the flesh had stepped down into the earth that he had created and then, in the midst of this, a situation arises. In Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14, you hear of the situation. It says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for, him, or pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Can you imagine this scene? Jesus is teaching when suddenly people start trying to bring their kids to him. They, they just want him to, to touch their children. They, they want him to embrace their children. The very children that God himself had ordained and knit together in their mother's womb, as the psalmist says in 139. He just wants, they just want them to touch them, to love on them. Yet suddenly Christ's disciples, they try to stop them. Don't do this. They try to stop it from happening. And Jesus, like a father who has missed his child for many, many weeks, bends down and he says, do not hinder them. Let the little children come to me. And he embraces them as they embrace him. Let me encourage you, whether you are a parent of a child or you have a grandchild or you've served in our children's ministry area, thank you for seeing that truth, that children are loved by Christ and we have to share Christ with the next generation. Because church as a team, it is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to embrace these children and to help them find Christ who wants to embrace them also. May we not hinder children, but may it be our prayer that the add-on of children's ministry space is just an add-on of a place where Christ can meet young children right where they're at, and he can embrace them with his love. Third, though, this morning, we want you to know this that Christ calls youth, that Christ calls youth. And as you can see, another large portion of our building will go towards our youth ministry or our junior high and high school ministry. 
Now, junior high and high school students are faced with a different world of problems as they journey this stage of life. In the 10 years, even since I've graduated from high school, I've already seen a drastic change in how issues are handled and problems many teens face in this world today. Now, according to the stageoflife.com survey, 46% of teenagers today have contemplated suicide. It says that 66% of teens are afraid of what the future holds for them after graduation. It says that 42% of teenagers are sexually active before they're married, and 57% of teenagers credit their mobile device or their cell phone with improving their life. But this one for me was the hardest. It says that depression and anxiety rank number one and number two as the most suffered mental illnesses among teens today. <clears throat> Now, I don't tell you these things to make you sad, but instead to help you see that we live in a culture that is on the attack, on the attack of our young people, a world that is throwing pain and sorrow, sex and drugs, and more, and more in the face of our young people. However, these young people have a great desire to serve a purpose in this world. You see, the same survey would tell us this, that 92% of teens are currently working on a goal that they have set for themselves says that 75% of teens will volunteer over this summer to some, in some sort of capacity, whether it's on a mission trip or helping out an elderly person, that they'll volunteer their time. Three-quarters uh, of teens today would, would do this. says that 88% of teens feel that they have the power to make a difference in this world. You see, young people, teenagers, today desire to make a difference, to have purpose, and to powerfully affect the world. We know somebody that did powerfully affect the world. We know Christ. We know that Christ affected the world in powerful, powerful ways. And he desperately wants young people to do the same thing. There's a story of Christ calling of his disciples in Matthew 4. He calls his disciples. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And Jesus calls these men to come and to follow. And his call was powerfully heard as they dropped their nets immediately, and they go. They knew something was different about Christ they left their fathers, their jobs, their livelihood as they knew it to follow a man that they probably knew little about. They were compelled to become followers of Christ because they wanted to serve a bold purpose with their life. But what is outstanding to me is that these men weren't really men yet. They were young men. Almost all accounts, all scholarly views would see that these men in that day were teenagers when they were called by Christ. And they're called to leave the family trade and take up the trade of fishing for men. You see, Jesus works in the life of all ages. There's no question about that. But in the case of his closest companions, the ones that he walked this earth with, he didn't pick established men who had powerful influence. He didn't want men that had it all together and knew their future plans. He didn't call the elderly or the ones that thought they had it all figured out. No, Jesus called teenagers to come and to follow him, telling them that he would make them fishers of men. Now our youth ministry, as, or as many of you know it, underground, has a great passion to see teenagers being rooted uh, and firmly grounded 
in faith. I would love to tell you that we have the best youth minister in Vicki Morella, but she's second best to Jesus because Jesus was the best youth minister, right? Because he worked with teenagers first. And he still is. He's calling young men and young women to come and to follow him and to have a great purpose. And we have a great passion to see our students hear that call and purpose. Now, the space that we're allotting for youth ministry for junior high and high schools is not separate space that we're blocking off those folks over in this area and they're going to have their service and we're going to have ours. No, we are going to continue to be the body of Christ together as one. But we want to have a place for them to call themselves to great purpose in Christ. I encourage you to continue to encourage these young men and young women when you see them. Ask what's going on in their life. Share experiences with them. Take them out to lunch. Do something special with them. You will never know the impact of your life on a young person. I can say from personal experience that I had, a, I had great parents. I had uh, great coaches on, on football field, as I talked about earlier. But one of the people that had the greatest impact on my life was a woman who was inside of our church that took the time to have me over, to spend time with me, to encourage me in my faith. And she did that because she loved me. But most of all, she did that because she knew that God was calling me to great purpose. I encourage you to do that same thing with our young people. Fourth and finally, though, we know this, and we want you to know this, that we are devoted to his word. As the building expands, you'll see that we're going to add on five new classrooms for our adult uh, Bible fellowship classes. We believe these rooms are key places where the church will continue our commitment to the word. And there must be a commitment to the word. Now, if you are a sports fan or if you've watched the news at all lately, this is, went past sports news, you, you've heard the news that one of the greatest basketball players that ever have lived is leaving Miami to head back to, to Cleveland, the northeast Ohio, as he put it. In an article to Sports Illustrated, LeBron James said this about his move. He said, before anyone ever cared where I would play basketball, I was a kid from northeast Ohio. It's where I walked. It's where I ran. It's where I cried. It's where I bled. It holds a special place in my heart. People here, people there have seen me grow up. I sometimes feel like I'm their son. Their passion can be overwhelming, but it drives me. I want to give them hope when I can. I want to inspire them when I can. My relationship with Northeast Ohio is bigger than basketball, and I didn't realize that four years ago, but I do now. You see, I think even in the sports world, some people recognize their devotion to something. I think LeBron recognized his devotion to his hometown, to Cleveland. And as a church, we want to be devoted, yes, to the city that we live in and the community and loving our community. We want to be devoted to the fellowship with one another. We want to be devoted to Christ. But specifically, as we're looking at this morning, we want to be devoted to his word. In Acts 2, verse 42, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And now to be devoted means to be characterized by loyalty and to be committed. Church, I, my prayer is that we would be devoted, that we'd be loyal, we'd be committedly and, committed and ultimately devoted to the word of God. The apostle Paul told his young son in the faith this in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. He said, in the presence of God, And in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Timothy lived in a community that was struggling. He lived in Ephesus. He was a minister in Ephesus. And Paul's challenge to him was 
man, be devoted to the word. In a tough place where there's going to be tough things going on, be devoted to the word. Church, may we be devoted to the word of God. And as our building continues to grow, may that be something that we are constantly doing, that we are growing a building so that we can continue to be devoted to his word. Now be encouraged. God is doing a powerful work in and through this body of believers. Why do we need to build on? Why do we need to, this building to expand? Yes, community is key. Yes, children are important to Christ. Yes, Christ calls youth. And yes, there should be a devotion to God's word. But above all else, the, the expansion of this building is just an expansion of his great commission. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 said, Therefore, go and make disciples, the Great Commission, right? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Simply stated, if you had to wrap the the Great Commission up into two words, it would be go and grow. Go loving God. Go on loving God as you are. Go on loving people as you are and loving life. And that comes through the gospel. Go and grow. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the message of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, to us as a team, to us as a body, as partners that are doing ministry together here at Bethany Christian Church, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. Together as a team, may that be our resounding gong that all we do from building expansions to Sunday morning worships to daily lifestyles, that it is all for the glory of God so that we would continue to go and we would continue to grow. This morning we are going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation. I encourage you, if you've never taken that first step, that first step to just say, look, I, I've never went. I've never, never gone. I've always sat. I've never been really sure about this. If you want to start that journey, I encourage you to come see Tom or, or Matt. They'll be over here near the baptistry. I encourage you, if you, you, you look at your life and you say, you know, I've known this truth. I've come to follow Christ, but lately I've just been sitting still. Or worse yet, I've been backsliding. I've not been doing, doing what I've been called to do. I need to start that journey again. I need to recommit my life. You need to pray at your seats or get down on your knees or come up on these steps or see one of us over here at the cross. I encourage you to do that. Whatever the decision is, my prayer is that we as a church, we continue to recognize that we're in this together as partners, as team, that we are striving after the call, that great commission to go and to grow.